0: It's December, but you knew that, right? It's December, which means if you're a youngster, or if you're a youngster at heart, Christmas Day can't come fast enough, right? Remember what it was like counting down the days until Christmas? Or maybe you still do, and you know what it's like to count down the days until Christmas. For me, when I was a kid, it was counting down the days until the beginning of Christmas break, which meant no school. That's what I looked forward to the most, I think. I just couldn't wait for school to be done, and I dreaded that day in January when school started back up again. But I think for a lot of youngsters, I'd look forward to Christmas too, but I was really happy to be out of school. I think for a lot of youngsters, though, they look forward to Christmas Day. And December is the longest month of the year for them, because they are looking forward to a very special day. For some, if you know what I mean, it takes all year for Christmas to get here, right? I have a nephew who starts counting down the days until Christmas on December 26th. So why all the anticipation and excitement for Christmas? Why is Christmas Day such an exciting day if you're a youngster or a youngster at heart? Well, I think because for youngsters, the anticipation of Christmas can often be about celebrating and surprises, yes, but it's especially about the gifts. I asked my children yesterday, we were talking about Christmas coming this month, and I asked why are you excited about Christmas Day, and unanimously, I think it was about the gifts. We're excited for Christmas Day because we have gifts coming, we hope, and we think, that day. For youngsters abroad, it's true, isn't it, that we look forward to that day when we were youngsters and our children now can't, uh, can't wait for Christmas Day because there are some gifts, there are some, prizes, some surprises on Christmas Day. And sometimes we look back on Christmas's past that we've enjoyed and we think about a special gift that we received. We might even say, that was an incredible gift. Did you know that God's Word shows us some incredible gifts? God's Word shows us some of the most incredible Christmas gifts ever. And this morning I want to show you where we find in the Scriptures one of the most incredible Christmas gifts ever. We're taking a break from our series in James for the month of December for a brief series I'm calling Four Incredible Gifts for Christmas. And I hope you can be with us for uh, the following Sundays as we talk about four incredible gifts for Christmas. You know, the world that we live in is all about giving and getting this time of year. Giving and getting great gifts. At Christmas is what the world we live in seems to focus on. But one needs only look to God's Word for the most incredible Christmas gift ever, and you will not find it in any store. We're going to see one of these incredible gifts today, and I want you to look with me at 1 John chapter 4 and verses 9 and 10. Let's look together at verses 9 and 10 here in 1 John 4. Follow along as I read. In this, the love of God has has made manifest among us. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, what's the incredible Christmas gift seen in this passage? What is the incredible Christmas gift now, it isn't something we can only have at Christmas, okay? So we're not thinking about something that's just limited to Christmas time. This isn't something only at Christmas, but we can think of it like a Christmas gift because Christmas is a celebration of the coming of Christ, right? And we celebrate Christmas because of Christ. And this gift is seen very clearly in the fact that God sent His Son, and I want you to see it. The incredible gift of which our passage speaks is the gift Of God's love. The gift of God's love is an incredible Christmas gift. And I want you to know what verse 9 says again. Look at verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Or, put another way, this is how God showed us, this is how God gave us His love. How? Verse 9 goes on to say that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is what God's Word makes very clear. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Praise God, right? Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He didn't come to save good people. (laughs) And just so you know, there aren't any. Okay? We say they're good people, you know, we talk about good people being a good person, but in in God's Word we learn truly that there are really no good, truly good people. That means sin-free people. There are no sin-free people. God sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to save sinners, Jesus Christ was sent by God to be the sacrifice for sinners. And all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are forgiven by God and are eternally saved. Praise God. As Ephesians 1 7 says, In Him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And I say, that makes God's love an incredible gift. Now, I want to look a little closer at God's love. I want you to think with me very carefully this morning about God's love. Just think carefully with me about why. God's love is such an incredible gift. First of all, let's understand here that one reason God's love is such an incredible gift is because God loves first. God loves first. God loved us far earlier than we ever loved him. God's love toward us is all his and none of ours. It has everything to do with God's love and nothing to do with our love. God loved us first. That makes God's love an incredible gift. Note that this is all about God's love for us. This has nothing to do with our love for Him. Verse 10, I think, makes that very clear when it says not. Look at verse 10 again. Not that we have loved God, In other words, God does not love us because at some point in time, be it in the past or in the present or in the future, we loved Him. No. No, God loved us long before any love we have shown to Him. We cannot earn God's love. We don't need to earn God's love. He loves us first. God's love for sinners existed in time past, long before we ever existed. And in spite of a lack of love for us toward God, in other words, in spite of ourselves, God loves us. Just as Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were, you know it, right? We were still sinners. Christ died for us. In fact, not only did we not love God before he loved us, but he loved us even when we were his enemies. Colossians 1.21 says of you and me that we once were alienated from God. We once were were hostile in mind, hostile in our thinking toward God, doing evil deeds. And Romans 5.10 says that while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. While we were His enemies, He reconciles us to Himself through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But the fact that God loves us even while we are hostile toward Him, that's not a new problem. That is a very old problem. You realize that mankind since the fall has been in a constant state of rebellion against God, Jeremiah seventeen nine in the Old Testament says it this way: The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And Romans three verses ten through twelve tells us that none is righteous. Just in case we didn't get it yet, just in case we haven't understood this yet, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks. For God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. There are no God-seekers in this world until God draws a sinner to himself. This makes God's love for us all the more incredible. Doesn't it? That God would love sinners who who hate him? Who rebel against him? Who consider him their enemy? That is an incredible gift. We ought never lose sight of that. I know for some of us this seems like a very basic teaching. And yes, we need to come back to these basic and fundamental kinds of teachings to remind ourselves this is our foundation. We must never leave here. We ought to be grateful that God gives an incredible gift of his love, and we don't deserve it, and we never will. Let's also understand here that another reason God's love is such an incredible gift is because God's love is one of great sacrifice. It is one of great sacrifice. Verse nine here in first John four says that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Just think of that. That we might live through Him. So those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ live through Christ. But how does He make that possible? He makes it possible by His death. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ live through Christ because Christ died for them. That doesn't feel like uh, seem like a fair trade, does it? <laughs> it's not, and it wasn't meant to be. And we ought to be grateful that God doesn't demand a fair trade. You see His death, the Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross brings life to all who believe in him, without exception. In fact, there's something else here in verse 10 that makes even more clear what Christ accomplished for those who believe when it says that God sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, we don't use that word very often, do we? That sounds like a hard word but it is essentially meaning that God loves us so much that he placed on Christ the punishment that we deserve. Propitiation. Such an important truth from the Scriptures for us to grasp and understand. The New Bible Dictionary says that propitiation properly signifies the removal of wrath by the offering of a gift. And that makes God's love an incredible gift, doesn't it? That Jesus Christ would be the propitiation for our sins. John Murray writes of the meaning of the word propitiation saying, the doctrine of the propitiation is precisely this, that God loved the objects of his wrath so much that he gave his own son to the end that he by his blood should make provision for the removal of his wrath. It was Christ's so to deal with the wrath that the loved would no longer be the objects of wrath and love would achieve its aim of making the children of wrath the children of God and God's good pleasure. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? Do you see how wonderful God's love is for us? What a wonderful picture of love. The love of God seen here is incredible. What a wonderful picture of the love of God that we have here in this text. We ought to come back here often and remind ourselves often of the incredible love that God shows us in His Son, Jesus Christ, is just the incredible gift spoken of back in 1 John 3 and verse 1, where we hear this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God? And so we are. Think of it. children who deserve God's just and righteous punishment for our sins. God places his wrath on his son and calls us his children and forgives our sins and turns his back on them. God's love is seen so clearly in the sending of his son, isn't it? God's love seen so clearly in the sending of his Son to die for us is the most incredible gift, I would suggest, is the is the first and foremost incredible gift that we ought to remember at Christmas. And we ought to remember every day. It's the gift we should remember first and most at Christmas. It's also the gift we remember as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together this morning. And how privileged we are to gather together this morning to worship, to rejoice in song as we have, to come to God's word for this powerful reminder of of this wonderful gift of God's love, and then to focus our attention on the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. There's another passage in 1 John, it's chapter 3 and verse 16. It's about the love of Christ for us. We've been talking about God's love for us. 1 John 3.16 is about the love of Christ for us and how God's love is made wonderfully clear through Christ. 1 John 3.16 begins this way, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. If you know 1 John 3:16, you know it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. It goes on to say this, and this is and what what it says next is really to shape our response to God's love for us because there ought to be a response from the one who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. There ought to be a response to this incredible gift of God's love. And this idea, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. The rest of the verse goes on to help shape our response when it says, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. See, that's an idea that changes our perspective on things, doesn't it? Because of Christ. Because he laid down his life. Our lives ought to be offered up as a living sacrifice, laying down our Lives Laying down ourselves and our selfishness for the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's an idea we're going to come back to tonight, asking the question, what should be our response to the incredible gift of God's love? And that's it. Because He loved us, we should love one another. And in the lives of true followers of Christ, this love for one another takes us Far beyond the good feelings we often associate with Christmas. There are a lot of good feelings at Christmas time, aren't there? A lot of goodwill and things that we enjoy doing for others at Christmas time, but it goes far beyond those good feelings and those good things we do at Christmas time. God's love for us must compel us to love Him and others all year long. So I say together this morning as we gather around the Lord's Supper and we worship at the Lord's table together. Let's remember that as we remember now what Christ accomplished for us on the cross, what we ought to be compelled to do because of His love for us.